Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Stephanie Everett. And I'm Kelly Street. And this is episode 330 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, Laura is talking with lab coach and remote work expert, Mary Ellen Stockton, about what your next step should be after hiring and onboarding an employee. Today's podcast is brought to you by Postali, Rankings.io, and Text Expander. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support, so stay tuned and we'll tell you more about them later on. So Kelly, today we have sad, happy news. Yeah. <laughs> sad, happy, bittersweet. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so we'll just go ahead and let everybody know that Laura, who's been an amazing part of our team for the past couple of years, has decided to move on and really focus on some of the other projects she had going on in her life, which includes training freelance workers. And she does a lot of amazing work with military spouses, which I just think is awesome. And I love Yes. And writing books too. So she is amazing and so capable. And here we are taking over from her capable hands and speaking of onboarding and hiring, talking about the process of what happens after, what happens at the end of those things, the offboarding opportunities. Yeah. And so obviously you won't hear Laura's voice on the podcast anymore. We're so appreciative of the work that she's done with us. And we're sad we won't get to work with her every day, but we're really happy that she's moving on to things that are exciting and interesting to her and important to her. And I think it just speaks, there's so many people I talk to, and they almost come into an employee-employer relationship with an assumption that this employee is going to be with you for life. You hear it sometimes like, I don't want to hire someone, and then they leave me. Guess what? They probably will. <laughs> yes. And oh, I I love that you said, and they'll leave me because I think that is sort of everyone's fear, thinking that it's really about them, about their personality. But it's really partly about the employee and what their goals are and what they want to do, but also that that person might have grown out of your position and they might need other challenges that they just, or opportunities that they just don't have or a lifestyle change. I mean, so, so many reasons that you can take the personal feelings off and that makes the offboarding process so much smoother if you can just treat the person as if they're moving on to something great for themselves and that this is a great opportunity for you as a company to learn, to grow and bring someone else new on who can fill in their shoes. Yeah, I love that. I love turning it into almost like a win-win opportunity. And I think if we approach our team members with that sooner in the process, it could really 
change our relationships and our interactions with them. And we've talked about this before at our team. You know, sometimes we will ask people, what do you see yourself doing after a lawyerist? Because we want to make sure like, hey, we can try to make sure that we capitalize and give you the skills and the training that you need while you're here and that we get the most that we can from that relationship while you're here. But we're going to acknowledge that there will probably will be an after and there will be another path for you. Let's have that conversation ahead of time. So like with Laura, we knew we had plenty of advance notice. We obviously are just announcing it today on the podcast. But as our team, we knew about it. We could make plans. We could make a transition plan for her and for us and really approach that offboarding in a new way that's happy and fun. I mean, we had a farewell lunch for our team so that everybody could say things and it was kind of fun. I think everyone gave some parting words of wisdom and happiness for her that we made in a card. We gave her a plant. I mean, it turned out she had just bought a new home. And so we wanted something that would live beyond flowers. <laughs> yes, something that could stay with her as a hopefully a good reminder of her time with our team, because we have a lot of those reminders for ourselves. Yeah. And so I think if you're listening to this, it's going to happen. It's not personal, but people will leave your team. So how can you use that as an opportunity both to give that person a great send off and have that offboarding process work for them, but also for you as a company. And really, I love what you said about using it as an opportunity to kind of step back and reevaluate what that role was doing. And I mean, I will confess that I've stepped into a lot of Laura's role here on our team as we're interviewing and hiring someone. It's just a opportunity to look at a role with fresh eyes and see things that you just didn't see before. And it's like, oh, Maybe we could make that easier. Or why is this so hard? Just because you have a fresh perspective. Well said, Stephanie. And I think that is a perfect opportunity to dive into Laura's conversation with Mary Ellen on hiring and onboarding an employee. everyone. This is Mary Ellen Stockton with Work Well Wherever. I'm a remote work coach and I also get the privilege of being a Lawyerist Lab coach. Yes, and you have been a frequent podcast guest here at Lawyerist because you have so much knowledge that we keep coming back to, hey, we've never talked to Mary Ellen about this thing or that thing. And we often end up in conversations at LabCon or at these coaching events where something is really coming up a lot of times for attorneys. And that's kind of how this topic came up as well. So today we're talking about sort of professional development, promotions, training your team. We've talked a lot about those other two ends of the hiring process. So what does it look like to hire somebody, to interview somebody, to onboard them? And then what does it look like when it's not a fit and it's time for people to part ways and move on? Or how do you fire someone appropriately? But in this middle ground, which is really the sweet spot where most companies want to be training somebody up, having a long lasting relationship with their employee, there's so many questions that come up here. So why don't we start off with that? After onboarding is complete, this person has stepped into their new role. What should a manager or a company or firm owner be thinking about as it relates to promotions, training, professional development. There's things specific to your company they need training on, but what about that bigger picture of things? 
Yes. So that's a great question. And I couldn't start this without saying that you do have to have an onboarding plan. And that's part of it. I know that we've covered that, but having the onboarding plan is kind of where you think about, I mean, you should be thinking about that before you hire them. What does this track look like? But that's where you're really able to kick it off and have people meeting other people and doing those things. So there is some workplace strategy, I think, that definitely goes into it. And I know you and I have kind of touched on this before. We do have a lot of people who are thinking of the return to office where you're going to have a hybrid team. It's become a very hot topic. And that is where your performance management and visibility and training is going to look different. And so that's the time where you really have to plan for what does this look like? And it's different for every employee. It's something that Stephanie and I talked in a recent introduction that we recorded about this idea of things that got swept under the rug in the pandemic because there literally wasn't time or there were so many other things pulling leaders' attention just to survive in this environment or adapt their firm. But now is the perfect time to get back into the swing of things where you're thinking about not just surviving in that moment, but what are the long-term plans? So as you're hiring someone, I feel like this comes up every so often. Do you hire for the person to fill the exact role that is open, or should you be looking at their potential future in the firm or company as well? I could see arguments on both sides, so I was just curious about your perspective there. (laughs) Yes, and I think I'd be one to argue on both sides. (laughs) Right. So I do think there are times I see where people get under the gun to hire. They wait to hire too late. So then it is not as much looking at the potential and the firm is, it's more of a reaction to, I should have hired like three months ago. And so I never encourage anyone to do that. You want to plan out and think about it as much as you can, but I know that it happens. I have two thoughts on that. Sometimes there is just an exact need that needs to be filled and you're not thinking any further. But that being said, When I interview for clients or interview other people for my team, I'm always looking for their potential in the future. And people have heard me say this before. When I interview someone, I want to know what they know about your firm or the person or where you're headed. That is how candidates rise above to the top of the pack to show that they are invested. And with that, then I do think it's the employer's responsibility to plan for the future. Because we know that people do change jobs all the time, but I like to go in thinking we are going to train and groom this person and see where they can head. Me personally, I think that I'm always looking for potential, but I do understand that there are times when you just need to fill a spot. Yeah. And you don't want to look too far down the road. I was having a coaching call recently with a lawyer, a lab member about this concept. And one of the things that we work with a lot of the attorneys on in lab is how do you build your law firm to be sustainable without you? Where if you were wanting to step back or needed to step back for any reason, how could it run without you needing to be the one to direct all of the decisions and all of the projects. And she was just starting her firm, but was already looking at that as a goal and was trying to kind of hire with that in mind. Well, who's the associate I need to bring on so that I don't have to be the primary one. That was the advice that I gave her was, we're kind of skipping a couple of important steps here. You can see that end goal and be building towards it, but you don't want to hire the associate now to take over everything when none of those systems and structures have been built for them to be successful in that role. So I love your answer there. It is definitely 
a balance. You want to make sure they can do the job that's open. Would you ever recommend to a client, maybe they interview somebody that they really like, but isn't perfect for the role right now. Sometimes I've seen people even create roles for that other person or mean it when they say, hey, can we keep your information on file in case something else comes up? What do you recommend if they come across a great candidate, but they are not right for the role that is currently open in the company? That does come up. And in my opinion, that it is like that hey, we will keep your information on file. Because it, depending on how complicated the role is, you do recognize good people are hard to find. But depending on the size of your team, there is a need that you're trying to fill. Otherwise, it would be a very generic, hard to hire for a position, right? Or if you felt like that they were advanced for this position. Not saying if there are enough things where you could tweak a few pieces of it and make it work, then maybe you wouldn't want to lose them. But if it is a totally different position and you're not really ready for it, then I do think, hey, let's hold off on that because you don't want someone to get bored, really, <laughs> frankly. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that depend on that, but it could go either way. But if you know you hear it where people say that they're overqualified, where there might be ways that you can tweak a few things, maybe that you thought you'd be hiring for later and make it work. But overall, I think if the position is so different, then you wait and circle back when you are ready for that. Yeah, it's one of the hardest things about hiring is, especially in this job market, you're probably going to meet multiple candidates that you like. And you may even meet multiple candidates that you like and could potentially do the job well. And that's what makes it really hard. I know we've seen that at Lawyerist when we've hired for a couple of different roles. There have been a few people who were really, really awesome. And we felt truly guilty that not all of them could be given <laughs> a position because they really were that awesome. So I think that advice is helpful. So if you're a manager or a leader, what is your role in professional development and training of your team members? Who is driving the bus here? Is it the employee, the team, the leader, some other entity? Ooh, Laura, <laughs> I think that it is. Uh, maybe people won't want me to say this, but I think that it is usually the leader. I do think that the leader is driving that, especially in these places, again, where we're going to see these remote and hybrid teams because they're the ones that are going to be communicating usually, however they decide to do it, it could be leadership out of the office and more of the team in the office. I'm not sure what the plans are or in the firm, but usually the leader is driving that. So there's a plan for it. They're driving, like setting up the training. I do think that the employee has a responsibility in that. For instance, I've seen where companies have a professional development budget and it's just given to the employee to decide. And in that case, you better be darn sure that you are using that budget that's set aside for you. Like that is a case where it is driven then I would say that that's employee driven. If it's a book, if it's class you want to take, if it's something. But I usually think in general, I would say 75% of the time, it's usually driven by the leader in my experience. That's important. And I think it's something that employees need to ask about too, right? When you're being interviewed for a position and you're asking all these important questions about culture and what does day-to-day -day life look like and what is the work culture of people moving throughout the company, what are my training opportunities? What is the professional development that's either offered to me in my career side of things or on the personal side as well? And I think that 
especially in light of the skills that are required today and the fast pace at which things change, that's probably become more important than ever because you have to be able to constantly adapt and evolve. So you want to know what those opportunities are. Absolutely. And that there, I mean, frankly, there are opportunities, whatever way it looked, but there are opportunities for that. That's interesting to me that you mentioned the team side is there just might be something, you know, like you as a head of a marketing department that you drive as a team, but it's still you as the leader. And I think one of the things that I've tried to implement with my team members as well, especially in the marketing department, is asking what are the things that you want to learn or are interested in? Even if you have no baseline knowledge of them now, what would be a win for you to get educated on this thing so that you would be able to use it not just in this job, but contribute to you as a person? You know, one of the company values is grow as people. So how do we achieve that on a regular basis? So I think that's something you can ask as well. Is there something you you want to learn? Is there something that would help you do your job better? I've had employees come to me and say, yes, I need sales call training so that I can feel confident on these sales calls. Or I have no idea how to do Facebook ads. Can we find a course or can you teach me how to do it? And those are things you should be looking for, right? That's initiative. It also helps the company. There often shouldn't be just one person who knows how to do the thing. So open that floor up. That doesn't mean you have to agree to everything someone asks for, but let them know like, hey, this is something we're willing to consider, especially if it's some $10 book and they could really use that to do a better job, definitely consider it. Yes. So when it comes to promotions and moving a team member either to a different role or to a bigger role, the answer to this is going to be, it depends, but what is your, what are promotions, what should they look like? What should that process look like? What's your kind of general advice on thinking about promotions in the right way? So I am a huge, huge fan of when you come in and I will always ask people that I coach and work with when we create the job ad, the job posting that goes out there to hire this person. We are detailed. We are setting those expectations up about what it means to work there. What does this look like? And once they are hired, you take that job ad and it becomes an internal job description, which looks a little differently, right? There might be more detail about your culture and all these things. At the bare minimum, I feel like you should be reviewing people twice a year at the bare minimum. And so that is kind of going through your job description and saying, does this still line up? Because as we talked about, things are moving fast paced, changing all the time, adaptability and flexibility as an employee are one of the things that I look for now when hiring a candidate. As part of that, at the bare minimum, you're looking and reviewing, is this still what you're doing? And if not, you know, how do we change that? You're also communicating often. Like it is not like uh, when you become a leader for an employee, there should be plans if it's once a week or every other week for you to talk. So there should be no surprise when you come down to what having a promotion or a specific schedule, nothing should come up. Either party should not know about. And sometimes it's a natural promotion schedule. Like maybe when we talked about from the very beginning, looking at someone's potential in the firm, maybe it's a natural progression where something changes and you feel like this person is ready to move up instead of hiring outside. And if that's the case, that's great. But yes, I do think that there's always a chance for review and a plan, not necessarily a specific schedule, but at the minimum twice a year. I think that's helpful because it's building off of what was the standard is once a year. That is way too long, right? There are so many things that can happen in the course of a year. So minimum of twice a year, you could even do something like that on a quarterly basis. 
Yes. I actually like the quarterly basis thing. I've seen people move to that, but it's hard. Maybe you haven't ever done performance reviews before or, or had a, you know, a plan like that. And so in that case, it's like, all right, well, let's just start at least like twice a year and go from there. Cause I think you'll be surprised even in your own firm, how much change in six months. Yeah. We'll be right back after this quick message from our sponsors. Support for today's broadcast comes from Text Expander. Work smarter, not harder with Text Expander. Text Expander helps you work faster and smarter so you can focus your time on your most important work. With just a few keystrokes, Text Expander keeps you consistent, accurate, and working efficiently. Speed through emails, expand forms with fill in the blank fields using a quick abbreviation. Use Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything you type. Get your message right every time by expanding content that corrects your spelling and keeps your language consistent with a few keystrokes. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Support for today's broadcast comes from Postali. Building the next powerhouse law firm takes hard work and an entrepreneurial spirit. But some skills escape even the savviest of attorneys. To reach new heights in your legal practice, you need a genuine marketing partner, one that tells you where you are now and where your firm could go. Postali works with law firms nationwide, and their trademarked marketing fiduciary services sets them apart from every other vendor that's cold calling or flooding your inbox. Whether it's informal guidance about things you can do today or a big-picture approach to law firm expansion, Postali is perfect for business-minded attorneys with an eye on the future. No matter where you are in your journey, Postali is the full-service, strategic marketing partner that grows with your firm. To learn more about the services Postali offers, visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist and reach out for a free consultation. Support for today's episode comes from Rankings.io, a search engine optimization agency working exclusively for personal injury law firms. Simply put, Rankings.io helps personal injury law firms dominate first page rankings. You'll never have to chase them for an update or hunt them down for an answer. Your clients expect you to be accessible, and Rankings will meet that standard for communication and transparency. You'll have a full team of SEO specialists fighting to put you at the top of Google search results. Personal Injury Lawyer SEO is all they do, so all of their processes, playbooks, and people are completely focused on generating qualified cases for your firm. Best of all, you'll be one of an elite few. Delivering exceptional service and results requires focus, so Rankings.io carefully vets clients before accepting them. They're an ideal fit for growth-oriented personal injury law firms. To see if you're a fit, visit rankings.io forward slash lawyerist to get started. Okay, so let's keep chatting about this idea of a performance review. Obviously, there's many different ways to approach this. Are there any best practices that you should have in mind? I mean, it's something that can make employees kind of nervous if they don't know what it looks like going in. So is it the leader's responsibility or the manager's responsibility here to set the tone and say, like, this is the agenda or this is what we're going to talk about? Do you have any tips around that? I mean, I've seen it done both ways. And I think the best performance reviews that I've seen involve equally both the leader and the employee. What I mean by that is that there's a chance for you to provide 
feedback and opportunity on how you've done and also your leader to provide feedback for how you've done. So maybe you have a similar set of questions or you have goals, whether they're quarterly, but you should never, ever go into any of these performance reviews blind. So maybe it is that the leader is outlining what the expectations look like around that or how these performance reviews are conducted. But again, there should never be any surprises in these situations. And so I really like to kind of have the same questions for each person. So the leader has questions and the employee has questions and the employee will answer the questions and the leader actually will answer the same questions about the employee and they have a discussion about it. And then there's also room for that time to talk about, well, I would like more professional development and growth or anything. So also talking about the future in each of these performance review plans as well. One of the challenges is that you don't want to fill somebody's calendar with so many meetings or touch base too much with that kind of open forum, right? But I find that a lot of meetings are things related to work, which they should be. It's about open projects, questions, problems that have come up. Are we meeting our goals? Are we on track to hit our quarterly rock projects and things like that? But how do you create that forum where an employee can feel comfortable with you to come to you and say, hey, my role isn't working, or I know we have our quarterly review in two more months, but I really need this training now. I mean, how do you kind of balance that as a manager? Because I think sometimes it's easy to just stay in the day-to-day and forget about that stuff until you're doing the quarterly or mid-year review. Absolutely. So I would say it's all at the very beginning about being intentional and creating that relationship. So when someone ask me like, how do I manage this remote employee? Or I feel like they're not responding or I feel detached or whatever it is. It's like, well, what are you doing to build that relationship outside of work? If you were only meeting for the quarterly reviews or the six months reviews is a mistake. My thing is always to add an element of just relationship. Every meeting cannot be about work. And so there are team building meetings that happen outside during a remote or hybrid team. You focus on asynchronous communication, whether it's your Slack channel or your chat in teams, there's places for that you can just build relationships outside of that. And you as a leader are encouraging that kind of relationship building and connection where it builds trust so that your team members feel that they can ask you about any time. It wouldn't be an interruption, not an interruption in the day for them to ask you if they had specific questions. But you also are probably, hopefully, not just talking once a quarter or when the performance review rolls around. So at the very minimum, you know, I know it's harder sometimes when people start out. And I think at the start of the pandemic, people got a little Zoom crazy. So everything, like I love (laughs) Zoom as a way of connecting with people that you cannot be in person with, seeing their face and all those things. But everything doesn't have to be a meeting with a Zoom call. So it's another way of looking at it. Like I think that we went that way, but now, okay, maybe instead this month, Laura and I normally have our Zoom chat. We're just going to walk and talk on the phone. We're going to go back old school. But we're still taking the time to talk about something that has not worked. There's that personal check-in at the beginning, and then we can jump to issues. Maybe we could handle things through different tools so that when we come together to actually have a meeting, that it's meaningful. Yeah, and don't neglect those 
personal connection opportunities, whether it's at the beginning of the meeting and it's only two or five minutes, those are really valuable so that people feel like you're getting to know them as people, but you also get a read on things that, especially in a remote environment, you you might get a read on those things in an office when you would see somebody. You could see their posture. You could tell by the way they came into the office that day they're having a rough day or there's something going on. We don't always get that benefit in a remote environment. So use that couple of minutes, even if it's that they're in a really good mood, that's valuable for you to know. And I often find you pick up little things about your employees too. You learn things about them that, you know, stories that you wouldn't otherwise know. And it is really important. It's so easy in this world of Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting to be like, okay, let's dive into business. We have 15 points we need to cover. So let's get started take the couple of minutes. It's so worth it. And it's worth it in the office too, even if it looks a little bit different and it's more of that like water cooler talk. But I think that's more important than ever, especially with the way people have been impacted by the pandemic. It's been really isolating for a lot of people and for a lot of teams. Yes. When I was looking at the numbers for return to work or the challenges that we're going to face going back into this hybrid team, the number one thing is still isolation. And thinking as a leader and a team and a firm, how do you continue to keep that connection? But, you know, it's still professional. I think sometimes people think if you're not always talking about work, that you're not productive or professional, but you have to build relationships. And how do you build relationships? It's certainly not about talking about work all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I find when you try to have those big open events. Maybe it's like a company Christmas party or the annual picnic or whatever version of it is in person or virtually. If you haven't built the space for non-work conversation before that, those can be painfully awkward because what do you talk about? Uh, (laughs) I don't know anything about these other people. This is super awkward. Like we have no context for their personal life or anything like that. So you don't want people to feel like that either because then the whole intention behind having those bigger events of get to know you events. It's it's too much for people and it can totally backfire. So I think to that point, Laura, I was thinking when people are planning out, I like to think about a year in advance, like plan out a year from what I do about employee engagement. And even when you're thinking about your meetings, saying what is the goal of this meeting? Why do we need this meeting? Is it to talk about issues? So, and how does this need to be done? Do we need to have this over Zoom or can it be handled outside of Zoom or do we need meetings just for team building? And I'm going to say, yes, absolutely you do. (laughs) So really being intentional about what that looks like, because that is where you create that connection and that relationship between your colleagues. Yeah, that's so important. So when it comes to professional development, does every employee really need to have a PD plan or is it okay to have people who show up to work. They do a great job. They say, these are my tasks. I want to do them. I don't necessarily want to grow in them. I'm happy kind of rolling with where I'm at. Is that okay? Or should you always be pushing somebody to have that professional development goal? I totally think it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do think that do you have, because to me, if you have a whole team of drivers, right, which, which I am. And I I feel like you are like, you know, on to the next thing. If you have a whole team of drivers, then how does that work? So my thoughts are that it's okay for someone to just rock their job and just want to stay in their job. And if you know that, and you're communicating with them, then 
you don't need to push further. I'd love to hear what you thought about it, but I do think that it's okay that there are some people that are just, you're steady, that it means that they're still doing a great job. They just don't want to advance for whatever reason. Maybe it is like that they really like the balance that they have, that they feel comfortable in. But as long as they're doing a great job, I don't think that you have to push because there will be other people around them that do want to push. I agree with you. I think reliability and consistency, they're not sexy terms, but they're so undervalued in a business setting. Because if you think about it, what are the things that are turbulent in your business? It's constant turnover, or it's not being able to keep clients on retention, or you know, it's cash flow problems. All of those things get back to consistency and reliability. Liability. If you have somebody on your team that is like, listen, this is my job. I'm really good at it. I show up every day and deliver on it. And I'm really good with just being right where I'm at and doing a good job. I don't think you necessarily need to push them because people have different things that they want out of work too. You could hire someone that's like, I am questing to become the CEO in the future. And you might hire someone who's like, listen, this is my part-time gig. I just want a job that doesn't stress me out and I'll do an awesome job when I'm here, but I want to work my 20 hours and I want to go home and do other things. And that's what's most important to me. And I will show up for you during those 20 hours and I will knock it out of the park, but I don't necessarily want 30 or 40. I don't have my eyes set on that thing. It's just different people, you know? Right. And we all need those people. You need the steady, I call it. You need the steady. Like everybody can't be gunning to be the CEO (laughs) or, right? I mean, it would be, so you need the steady. And it doesn't mean while they're there, doesn't have any professional development, but maybe it looks different. Still means that they participate in the, if you read a book and they participate in that or do their things, but it's just like, absolutely. Is it, in my opinion, it's great to have the steady that just rocks up their job. Yeah. And don't forget to appreciate them for that too, because it is like the unsung hero of many departments or companies is this person who is just rock solid and steady and does what they need to do. And you know, that's valuable, even if it's not the same as maybe your salesperson or the person who closes all of your client files. And you know, those things are easy to celebrate because there's a natural close to it, but don't forget to honor that person for just being like there and so reliable to be able to turn to. I don't think it's a bad thing. I'm with you on that. I think it can be, it can actually be a great thing. And I feel like plenty of companies don't have such a person like this at all. And it may be the missing piece for them. Absolutely. I know that Lawyers does this and I encourage it with the other firms that I coach when they have meetings to celebrate the wins. And I was recently talking to someone and saying they just started doing their meetings once a month and people were struggling to get a win. But then she's, telling me how much their firm has grown. And I was like, that is a win for everyone because there is a team, every person on that team played a part in that. So it just kind of reinforces what you said to know we're a team and you can't do it without everyone. Yeah. And sometimes you see those other people doing the big things and that's something as a leader, you can pass on to them as well. Like, Hey, maybe it's your admin assistant who keeps your calendar super organized so that you show up to every call ready to crush it. Or this is the person who files all of your paperwork at court and makes sure you never miss a deadline. Call that person out for for making your life easier too. They're not just doing their job, they're making it possible for you to do your job. And that's really something that is worth celebrating because you hire somebody like that for reliability and consistency. Those are really the skills that you're looking for in them. And it's very easy to just gloss over it. You notice it when they miss or when it's not the right hire, right? 
right? You're like, oh, this is not a fit. <laughs> but don't forget that person may just need whatever their work love language is. Maybe it's words of affirmation or something like that to kind of hear that appreciated because a lot of times those are the people behind the scenes that are really keeping the engine running and are so valuable. Exactly. So on the other side of that coin with the employee who is kind of pushing for their next level, how should leaders respond when an employee is the one pushing for a promotion or a raise and opens that conversation rather than it being the manager? Mm. So, and this happens, right? And I tell people, and usually this happens when there's not a clear time or they don't know the plan for what's coming next. So this is when probably you don't have a clear performance review plan that's set in time, or maybe that it's too far apart. It's fuzzy, or maybe since they've come on, they've had once every two years and there wasn't really a plan and someone is coming, pushing for a promotion or a raise on their own. I say kudos to that. There's, you know, all different reasons, but usually it is when they're not sure when or there's usually not a time or a plan set. And in that case, then for them, it is setting up the time and you have the discussion and you listen to all those points. And if you are one that doesn't have a plan, right, then good for them. Because I feel overall, firms and companies are busy and it doesn't mean they don't value their employees. It just means that they haven't thought about this aspect of it. So for me, I always feel like it's okay to ask as an employee and as an employer to listen to this and see like, what is the push behind that? And maybe it'll make you think about, oh, well, maybe we do need to have a more formal plan, you know, or I haven't been great at at doing that, or I haven't even thought about it. So I think that you definitely listen into that to your employer and respond accordingly. Again, you should never be surprised in these things because there should be an opportunity already for them to ask for that promotion or raise. And if there's not, then maybe you need to come up with a plan for the future. Yeah, that plan for the future sounds like a key aspect of this because I imagine there are cases where an employee comes to an employer and makes a legitimate case for, hey, these are all the things I've done. This is how well I do my job. I want this raise or I want this promotion. And it may not be financially possible or otherwise feasible at that moment. Are there other things that you can consider aside from making that plan? I mean, I can see something where you say like, you know, over the next two months, if I continue to see X, Y, and Z from you, like you're going to be on the path towards moving to this thing. Are there other things that employers can offer if the money isn't really an option at the moment? Absolutely. Because it's not always about the money. It could be about time. So this goes back to knowing the love language or the motivators behind your team. So it could be someone who has really worked hard and you recognize that, but it is like an odd time or there's not a formal thing. So maybe it is just taking a half day off. Maybe it is an extra training. I don't know, but being able to ask the person to say, you've asked for this and you think about it and you come back. And then it's simple conversation to be like, this is not there, but what would be helpful. You kind of have an idea, but is that what would motivate them? And it could just be, you know, but if I'm hearing language like my work-life balance has been, you know, out of whack, I'm overwhelmed, and you know they've been pulling all of these things, then maybe it is just some paid time off or, you know, whatever it is that their need is, it's always okay to ask. <laughs> 
because it's going to be different for you and I and for the next employee. So yeah, it goes back to that open line of communication, allowing that conversation to happen where both parties can kind of figure out a solution that is a fit for all of them. Yes. And I think sometimes that people think when someone asks for permission or a raise and they can't do it, or it's not the ideal time, I think people are so afraid that the person will leave or they're, you know, but that is not necessarily the case. It's just that they think of that as like kudos to them for asking for it, right? Like I always say, like, ask for it. And then it doesn't mean that they're looking to leave. And if you can't do it, but know that that's the time where you can have that discussion to talk about what's next. If you can't do this, then what does X, Y, and Z look like? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, as always, you have so much knowledge to share. I know you and I could talk for hours about this stuff, but, but this feels like a good place to kind of pause and close the loop on this conversation. So thanks as always for being such a great podcast guest and answering some of these tough questions because they're not easy. Thank you, Laura, for always coming up with a tough question. <laughs> The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Ryan Croft. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discussed here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com community lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.